The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Amen. Hey, one thought just before you're seated that might be an encouragement to some of you that Lord, I think, gave me while we were singing. There's that phrase about there's power to empty out every grave. I love that. But I was thinking about seven years ago, my dad uh, took him and put him in a little grave in uh, Temple, Texas, has a plaque there with him. But he's not there because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ emptied out the grave. And as I, as I was singing that, that thought came to mind. I'm sure some of you were thinking, too, about a dad that's already gone to heaven because of the power of Jesus Christ. So with that, again, Father, uh, please use this time in our lives powerfully. Amen. Okay, this is, I think, Father's Day number nine for me. How about that? Can you believe I've been here? Some of you are like, is that all? Uh, but I think, uh, I think I've been here nine. I don't think there was ever like a Father's Day when I was gone for the weekend. So I, I, I don't think I've missed any. I think this is number nine. And I want to say I have not one time to this point, uh, taken Father's Day and done what they always say they do at Father's Day. You know, the line is, on Mother's Day, you bring everybody in and you tell them how wonderful they are and give them a rose and honor mothers. And on Father's Day, you bring everybody in and yell at the fathers. Uh, that, so, uh, you know, tell them what a lousy job they do and, and uh, how they need to shape up. That's, that's, that was always the joke that we had about church when we were growing up, that that would happen every year. Well, up to this point, I've never done that, but I got to tell you, I think I'm going to change a little bit today. Uh, and part of that is, I really, as I was looking at this, some stuff earlier this week, I just, uh, the Lord really convicted me about some things, kind of like, hey, let's, let's wake up and get back on track on some things. And I thought, maybe, God, if you had that for me, maybe you have that for some others uh, here today. So I want to apologize ahead of time. You might take just a little bit of a beating here today, but if you do... You can have two pops on the way out the door. Uh, okay, if you feel, of course, of course, anybody that takes two pops now, people will know that that person really needed to hear that sermon. And I also thought, since I'm going to, you know, uh, preach the old traditional Father's Day message, you needed just a little bit of something different at the beginning here. So uh, go ahead with the next one. something to energize me. I'm looking for something to push me further. And I'm looking for something to go with these nachos. Dad Fuel, the energy drink designed just for dad. So I can finish the fight. So I can finish the race. So I can finish mowing the lawn. And later on, I might watch some golf. The fuel dads need to do the things dads do. Climb the highest peak. Go the furthest distance. Check the scores. Read the newspaper. Give amazing relationship advice. Why are you crying? You should really talk to your mother about that. Dad Fuel comes loaded with taurine, ginseng, and 100% of your daily recommended value of Hi Hungry, I'm Dad. I start every morning with the four Ds. Devo's, donuts, Dad Fuel, Dad. Down blanket. 
Breakfast of Champions, baby. Now available in four bold flavors. Original Orange, Grow Model Raspberry, Grow Master Mango, and I thought I told you to take out the garbage grape. You can't touch my passion. You can't touch my drive. And you definitely can't touch my thermostat. No way. So whether you're thirsty for victory or just plain thirsty. No, seriously, it's empty. Can I get another one? Dad Fuel. Because I am fearless. Because I am unstoppable. Because the players on TV aren't going to yell at themselves. Come on! Throw the ball! There you go. <laughs> All right, back to the uh, like father, like son idea. Um, some of you have seen occasionally, my, my son lives out in Colorado, but he's visited here. Some of you have seen when he's here. Uh, the poor kid, sadly, really does look a lot like me. Uh, he's about my height, my build. The other thing that he has, he has my walk. And I've never really seen it because I don't realize how I walk. But, like, one day, you know, we were walking up to a store and saw the reflection in the mirror. And I got confused who was who. <laughs> I was like, goofball walks just like me. Somebody was asking me recently how he's doing. I said, well, he's out in Colorado. I said, he's teaching. And he really loves teaching. And, uh, and then in the summertime, he paints. And they said to me, well, you, you must be proud. And I thought, you know, honorable profession. I thought, yeah, I guess so. And they could tell I had that confused look on my face. And they said, well, because he's doing the same thing you did because I taught and painted for 30 years. And I said, oh, yeah. They, they said he's choosing, chosen the same path as you. And I said, yes, poverty. Uh, but uh, he said, <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but it, I, I didn't really even think about that, but as I thought about it, I said, yeah, that is kind of cool. You know how sometimes, though, parents, we know, we see our kids, and we see some things, and we think, okay, that's good. We want them to copy that, but it's also those things that we wish they didn't copy stand out. Anybody, anybody can relate to that a little bit? You know, where you see things. I, I'm sorry, I'll tell you one other story before we get going. My son-in-law is a coffee snob. I mean, totally. I'm sorry if I offend you with this, but because you do the same thing, but he has to get up and grind every morning, you know, and then somehow you have to mash it down or whatever like that, and then you pour it in a little filter, and then you have to do the pour-over coffee. He goes through this whole thing all the time. We make fun of him all the time for it, except for my wife. She actually likes the coffee, so she stopped making fun of him. Uh, but uh, if, if you say to my grandson, who is almost three, Easton, get me a cup of coffee, he has his own little system where he goes in, and he doesn't go in and take a pot and pour it. He goes in, and he has to grind, and he has to pretend like he's mashing down, and then he has to pretend like he's pouring over him, and it's really how you keep him busy for about 15 minutes. Hey, Easton, I want a cup of coffee. Uh, he'll go in and do that because he has to do it just like Daddy does it, okay? And there are sometimes, you know, we just see that where we're, we're going to be just like Daddy, okay? Well, as we look at Scripture today, I want us to see where we can be some ways, and this is the negative part, we can be in some ways just like our earthly father, if you will, a guy by the name of Adam, Okay, you see some things. So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. But then also I want us to look and see how we can also be just like our heavenly father in that way. So let's go ahead and start. Genesis chapter 3 uh, says, Now the serpent was more crafty. By the way, as we read these, this passage here, I want you to remember that what you're going to see at the beginning here is a continuation 
It's kind of weird because it's in Genesis chapter 3, but it's a continuation of something we read about in the book of Revelation that is called the war in heaven. Uh, and it's something that happened also in, we read about in the book of Isaiah where there was a rebellion against God. We're going to see that that happened there in heaven and somewhat continued here on earth. We're also going to see that this is an account of what happened, but it is also an account of what continues to happen or what is happening, okay, in our lives. So, now the serpent more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Nice little lie there. Uh, but God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, so you will be like God. This is not the sermon of the day, but I hope we can remember this all the time. Satan always wants us to usurp God in our thinking. And basically, if you look at the culture of the world today, what you so often see is people that are trying to form God in their own image. They're trying to say, this is how I like to think of God. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. I don't like to accept a God like that. I want to define God. I want to describe him. I want to be as God. Okay, this whole idea that he's God and I'm not doesn't sit well with us, and Satan knows that, so he likes to play that all the time. Hey, you eat this, God doesn't want you to because then you'll be as God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, he was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man said to his wife, I'm sorry, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? By the way, whenever God asks a question, it is not because he does not know the answer, okay? He's trying to get him to identify and, and uh, figure out where he is. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me uh, to be with me, she gave me, that woman did not tell me order enough pop, but anyway, uh, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because of you've done this, cursed are you above the livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And this next verse, I, I almost stopped actually two verses earlier, but I love this next verse. This is chapter 3, verse number 15. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offseed and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. One of the reasons I love this verse so much is this is really what is called the first messianic verse of the Bible, where God first talks about the Messiah. He said, the day is going to come, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and his offspring, your offspring. There's going to be one born of a woman, her offspring, which is Jesus Christ. And what is going to happen is you will bruise his head. See, on the cross, you're going to think you're getting the victory. 
okay? Because you're going to have him up there on the cross dying. You're going to bruise his head. But in the process, he shall bruise your heel. I love that image of, you know, Satan thinking, I won! And then all of a sudden he's got, you know, missing a foot. Uh, but uh, I, I love that, that picture, that first promise, because it's like this. Man falls, and God right away says, I can fix that. I got that. And again, it's not even actually the sermon of the day. What I wanted to do, uh, like I said, with the like father, like uh, son idea, is look at some things that we see in this earthly father. And um, like Adam, we have a tendency towards this, a passivity, Okay, notice that the scripture says that while all this was going on, Adam was there. Okay, he was present there. And many times the sins of fathers are the sins of omission. And many of us have seen this. Hopefully we have not seen this too much in our own lives. But many times uh, men think that if I have provided for the physical needs of my family, my job is done. And they completely forget about any type of emotional or spiritual needs. Okay, they forget it. I was, uh, I was thinking our friend, uh, many of us know Scott Teeter, uh, who's worked in the prosecution departments in Michigan, and one of the things that he has done and been real involved in is going after uh, making sure that child support is paid, you know, tracking people down and making sure that they are providing for their family. And I thought <laughs> it'd be great if we had a similar service and say, hey, wait a minute, you might be providing physically for your family, but there's more involved here. Are we doing any type of leadership spiritually? Are, are, you know, are we doing anything in, on purpose? For many of us, it is more like, hey, uh, you know, it, it, it just happened. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, whatever happens, happens. We're not really living on purpose. I mentioned the Lord used this to convict me earlier in the week, because as I was thinking about this, okay, I've been married 39 years, basically, marriage is going along pretty good, my kids are grown, they're 33 and 30, uh, you know, so, uh, so the question came, hey, what are you doing to improve as a husband, to improve as a father at this point, you know, to serve in that way, what, you know, what are you, what are you doing, and uh, <laughs> the answer came to be, you know, like that. Really, I kind of got into a little bit of rut where it's like, okay, I've got this. You know, the kids are grown. You know, wife, I think that's going pretty good. I walked in. Uh, I have a men's group that I met with this past Tuesday night, and the first question, you know, they asked was kind of like, hey, what are you hoping for in coming here? What do you want to accomplish? And again, my mind was like, well, nothing. I just figured it was Tuesday night. I was supposed to go to men's group. Uh, you know, and I went, and sometimes that's how we go through life. You know, why did we come to church? Well, because it's Sunday morning, you're supposed to go to church. You know, uh, how's the parenting going? How's the, you know, what, what are you doing to now to improve uh, your marriage, to, you know, to grow in this way? And there's nothing. This passivity dominates our lives where we really have no specific plan. It's just kind of whatever happens now happens, and we're content with that. Another thing, and this word is very harsh, I realize. In fact, I thought, maybe I ought to clean this up. That's going to offend somebody. But then I thought, no, it fits too perfectly. Sin makes people behave stupid. It, it really does. I mean, people do incredibly dumb things. Imagine the whole idea of I'm going to hide from God. <laughs> um, you know, back to my grandson here when he was over, I, I, I try to be a good granddad, but uh, not always all that good. If Some of you can relate to this. When the kids get bored with their toys, Little kids love stuff that you have. Here, play with my phone for a while. Keeps them busy for a long time. You may not be able to ever get your phone reset. Uh, but uh, the other thing is, Ethan loves remote controls. 
Yeah, he's he's two and a half. You know, if he can get a hold of a remote control. Wow, in their house, remote controls are off limits. I did not realize that. And it was keeping him incredibly entertained. Uh, you know, yeah, like this. So, but then, then his parents came in, and all of a sudden the remote control goes like this. You know, he's trying to hide it. And, you know, his dad's just like, Ethan, we see you. You know, he's like standing there with a stupid grin on his face and that remote control under his shirt. Like, you can't see this. How dumb is it that sometimes, you know, we are exactly like that with God? We hide from God. And this stupidity destroys intimacy with God because we're in this hiding place. I heard this week the word intimacy is into me see. You know, and, and you have, I'm not going to develop it all today, but even in their nakedness and everything like that, there is an openness before God that all of a sudden has disappeared. And because of sin, I no longer, you know, it, it's, now, are you thinking with me? Because I know this is, sounds incredibly simple, but yet at the same time, I've done this so many times, I actually behave in my life as if there's something I'm hiding from God. Now, digest that for a minute. Okay, I mean, I actually go through life almost like, you know, God doesn't know that as long as I don't bring it up, as long as I don't mention it, uh, it's, it's off the screen. How goofy is that? And it does destroy my intimacy with Him. Okay, if I'm hiding something. Okay, so definitely can be a second characteristic of our earthly father that we don't want to pick up. The third one is blame-shifting-ity. I had to stay with the, the itty innings. That may not actually be a word. Uh, I'm not sure. But we definitely uh, have a culture that has a uh, responsibility crisis. We're not great at accepting responsibility. It's the uh, government's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the school's fault. It's my family's fault. I have a friend that... Um, and I, I was thankful for this. They were dealing with some things and decided to go in for counseling. And I, I'm glad he did a, a good thing, but they went in. And uh, after a couple of meetings, I, I got to follow up. I said, hey, how's that going? And he said, great, we figured out my problems. Go back to my mother. <laughs> now, I knew the story. Truth of the matter is, problems did go back to mother. But the next question I said is, so where are you going from here? He said, oh, I quit going. I said, what? He said, well, I know where my problems are, so you're done. Uh, that's it. You know, aren't you going to take the next step and move forward and see, you know, where you would have to grow? No, no. Once I figured out where my problems are, I can just blame everything on her from this point on. I don't really have to do anything about it. And sometimes that's our exact mindset. You see Adam right away in the garden says, that woman, uh, it is her fault. Let's blame her. If instead of making excuses, we actually uh, worked on making some plans and moving forward, I think we'd be a whole lot better off. Now, truth is, we could develop Adam a little bit more and some of the characters, characteristics we pick up, but I wanted to encourage you just at the beginning to think through some of those things, whether it is passivity, I don't really have a plan in what I'm doing specifically with my family, uh, but in life in general, I, I don't really in my spiritual growth, in my spiritual walk, whether it is... I've gotten kind of stupid because of sin, and I've gone into hiding, and I've destroyed my intimacy with God. Uh, whether it is that I'm everything somebody else's fault, and I can figure out why I have these problems, but I'm, we're not doing anything to move forward. We've just identified, yeah, I messed up because of this. Okay, got news for you: we can all find something like that. You know, because of this work situation, because this didn't go well, because uh, so-and-so didn't treat me right, you know, because of this teacher I had, because the government stinks, because of this leader or whatever like, like that. So we can spend time with excuses or we can move forward with a plan. Now, let me move you 
thinking here to a couple of uh, things that Paul wrote so we could talk about this, the Heavenly Father relationship here a little bit. He said this, he said that he is the head of the body, the church. And by the way, this is in a passage in Colossians that is a great passage on what's called Christology, just the study of Jesus Christ. He's explaining to them who Jesus is. And he says he is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He says Jesus is the head. Okay? Now, in another place, Paul wrote this. He said, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his Savior. So, the truth is, good fathers can solve a lot of the world's problems if they understand the covenant relationship that they have. So I want to talk about that idea that uh, as, as Jesus is the head of this new covenant that he has brought to us, so fathers are called to be the head of the covenant in the family, okay? And there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant, okay? A contract, uh, some men are very good at, or some ladies are very good at, in that, uh, hey, they exceed in the workplace. They know how a contract works, and they thrive in the business world, but in the relational world that, that is over here with a covenant, not so well. You know, do you ever, do, have you ever seen that? Somebody's like, hey, they're, man, they're great in the business world. They're great in the work world, but come home, and they just stink. They understand the contract, but they don't understand the covenant idea, you see, a contract, um, sorry, I have a list here, but a, a contract will seek what is best for me. I've got to win in this thing. A covenant seeks God's will. In a contract, uh, I'm going to talk about how you're going to serve me, but in a covenant, we serve each other. A contract is going to be based on performance all the time, but in a covenant, we keep no record of wrongs. In a contract, poor behavior needs to be punished. Failure needs to be punished. In a covenant, failure is dealt with in Jesus Christ, or it has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. I read a list of stupid things that men have said in relationships, and uh, number one was this, and forgive me if you have said this, but you probably need to hear this. One husband told his wife, if you were my employee, I would have fired you a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I just thought, I don't know. Never mind. Uh, I, don't, I don't even want to go there. Uh, if you were my employee, I would have fired you a long time ago. The wife is not an employee. She is not an investment. She is not to be torn down, but she is to be built up. And when we think about in the relationship with Christ as the head, he loves, therefore we can love. Uh, he is, you know, he, he brings that in there, and his love is what changes me. That is how that relationship is supposed to work also at home. So sometimes we're experts at running the contract idea, but not so good at the covenant idea. And if we are going to live in this as the head of the covenant, one of the things that is going to become part of our lives is responsibility. Okay, now, i got to get you to think here with me. This is, a, I kind of wrote beside this, this is the thinking part. <laughs> yes, I thought I ought to have one. Just, uh, But I really challenge you to think through this with me. Because, um, okay, if you are the head, if you are in charge, you have extra responsibility, obviously. Okay, the head coach is the one who's going to get fired, right? 
if things aren't going well. The CEO or whatever like that, we got to move you out because things are not going well. If you're going to take on uh, leadership, you're going to take on extra responsibility. But I, in thinking about this, I want you to consider that blame is different than responsibility. So, for example, Jesus took the responsibility for our sins, but he didn't really take the blame for them, if you want to say it like that. He didn't commit those sins, but he did take on the responsibility. If my child is in trouble and I take the blame for it, what usually happens is I get defensive and I get, you embarrass me. Look, look how you made me look in front of the principal. You know, look, look what you did. I, I get that way because I've taken the blame on, uh, you know, as if somehow it is all my fault. I get angry. I get embarrassed. I feel like I'm being accused. But if I understand that it is not about the blame, but just about taking responsibility, then I have a responsibility to enter into this situation and do my very best to lift up and work towards the healing. Now that's, you know, I don't know that I could even fully develop that idea, but I hope you'll think about that, that idea. There's a difference between taking responsibility and taking the blame. Okay, there's a big difference there. So one of the things that our father did that Jesus Christ did is he did take responsibility. A second thing for sure that we find as a characteristic of this God is that he is the initiator. We love him because what? He first loved us. Okay, he is the initiator. So I want to encourage us, whether it be as a dad, whether it be as a mom, whether it be in whatever our relationship is, uh, to think through a little bit ways here of how we can follow his example. And one of the things, again, that came up to me this week is that I, and hey, I've stood here before and talked about praying for my family, how much I, I love to do that, and I wasn't lying to you. At that time, I was on a roll as far as really praying every day for my family. But again, that rebuke came to me earlier early this week. I thought about that. I actually came across a list, and they said, hey, here's the first thing you want to do for your family. Uh, make sure you're praying for them all the time. And I thought, okay, have I been doing that lately? And no, I just slid away from it. And so I thought, hey, maybe some other people kind of need to wake up to that again. You know, whatever that takes to get up and say, hey, tomorrow, you know, sure, I love, I love these. I'm sorry, I'm picking on you. Stay, uh, but I love these two girls. I don't know who that third one is. But, um, but, uh, but uh, I, lo- I love them. But no, have, I really haven't been praying for them lately. And I'm not, you understand, of course, I'm not picking on Stacy, and, and I'm not even, but that's a, I've done that many times in my life. You know, where I've gotten on a, I'm on a good roll, and I'm loving it. And like I said, I, I, I'm, I don't stand up here and say, yeah, hey, I was praying for my family this week. I don't make that up, okay? But as many times as I've said that, as much as I love to do that and I want to do that, when I thought about it earlier this week, I thought, I haven't been doing that. I haven't been praying, God, protect them, keep them safe, guide them. I haven't been praying, God, bring their hearts closer to you. <laughs> I got two little boys who are, you know, beginning to hear the gospel and, and uh, Lord, not two little boys, two grandchildren, uh, you know, but, the, the, you know, and Lord, so much, I want them to know you. I want you to, them to follow you. I want them to love you. My wife. Okay. I, friends down the hall, hallway today, but I, uh, I, I have a hard time when I start to express thankfulness for my wife. I tear up. I, I appreciate her so much. But again, the question came, are you praying for your wife? And I had to say, no. No, that's kind of got pushed on the back burner. So I thought, 
maybe you need the same wake-up call. I, I hope not. I hope many of you can say, no, I'm on a good path there. Good, stay on that path. But for the rest of us or, or you that maybe do need that wake-up call just to get back to that. So, Justin, for me, what really helps is if I sit and write down their names and pray, pray through, you know, and just t- make sure I take the time to fo- focus on each one and how God would have me to pray because that has definitely been a rebuke. A second thing as far as being in the... Uh, having initiativity, that was my other word I made up there, but uh, is uh, that uh, we get involved in setting standards. Now, you know, folks, you know, I never want Christianity to be defined by a list of things that we do or don't do. It's a relationship. It is a living, breathing relationship. Uh, So I don't ever want it to be, okay, here's what you found out to do at church today. Here's your new rules to go follow. That's how you become a good Christian. That's how you have a good relationship. Never want to be that. However, let's be honest, in operation of a family, there have to be some guidelines, right? And I don't think that the role of the man is to come in and say, hey, my word is it. But I think the role of the dad is to step in and say, honey, can we sit, sit down and talk about this? Can we plan this out? Be the initiator so it's not totally left to somebody else and just let it happen. That's, you know, that, uh, that we are, are getting involved in leading there, that I'm sitting down with my wife because a home does need some rules. It does need some standards. And the third thing, we definitely want to be an initiator when it comes to reconciliation. We forgive because who forgave first? He did. Okay? And if we're going to follow our Heavenly Father, we will lead in forgiveness. We will lead in reconciliation. That just makes sense. Okay? I, for the midweek momentum, I'm going to repeat it here because it's, it's a worthwhile illustration. I was telling the story of back when I was a school principal. Uh, we were having a game day among the kids, and they were having tug-of-wars, you know, this class against this class and everything like that. And I thought it would be fun to take on all the kindergarten class by myself. Okay, I think there, I, if I remember right, there's 22 of them. I thought this would be fun. You know, I'll kind of pretend like I'm winning, and then I'll let them win, and they'll celebrate. Uh, so as soon as they said go, I'm not kidding. I got dragged across that floor like a rag doll. Uh, I was just, help! Uh, you know. And some people were like, oh, you let them win. I did not let them win. I did not have a prayer. You say 22 kindergarten, and I was younger, and I was probably about 30, 40 pounds heavier back then. It didn't help. Uh, I was going for a ride as soon as they, as soon as they, they said go. And what we learned in these little tug-of-wars is strength wasn't the key issue, and weight wasn't even the key issue. The key issue was feet on the floor, and the number of feet on the floor. We see this with different classes. Like we'd have this, you know, seven big guys against, you know, ten little scrawny wimps in another grade, and the ten would win. Be like, hey, that's pretty funny. Uh, but the, the key thing is the feet on the floor, or we're going to say the foothold. Okay, now... What does the Bible say gives the devil a foothold in our lives? Anger. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your, la- your wrath. When you hold on to anger, what you do is you give the devil that foothold. You give him that anchor in, our, in, in your life. And if, if we can realize that, and, and I actually came across a sermon uh, this week you know, the whole sermon was kind of dedicated to helping men deal with their anger because that is often an issue. And, and listen, I have the right to be angry. Many times you do, okay? It's her fault. She did it this time. 
I'm hitting a pillow. If you want to live that way, fine. But what have you done? You have given, okay, remember back at the beginning when we talked about this adversary, this guy, this uh, devil? War in heaven continues on this earth. It's still going on, and it's still going on in our lives. What you have given, or what you have done there, is you have given that adversary a foothold in your life. But the kids are so exasperating. Okay, I think if you begin to keep the anger to shorter periods, you will begin to actually experience victory over anger in the long run. In other words, okay, I blew up. I lost my temper. I need to go back and make it right. I need to initiate reconciliation. No, not this time. She owes me an apology. No, not this time. That guy owes me an apology. Uh, that guy at work, he's a jerk. Okay, he owes me an apology. I don't owe him one. Have you ever noticed how quickly you can diffuse a situation by simply saying, you're right, I'm sorry. You know, I've mentioned before, uh, you know, pulling into a parking spot or whatever like that at the same time as, as one by, and one time I just flat out cut the guy off and took the spot that he'd been waiting for. And I realized afterwards, you know, oh, that was just stupid. Uh, and he came up already, you know, and I said, you're right, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I said, I just wasn't thinking. You know, what can he do at that point? Babe, yeah. <laughs> And walk in the store. Uh, you know, if I'd, have, if I'd have cursed back at him, you know, we'd have, we could have had a brouhaha in the parking lot, but there, there's nothing there like that. If I can be the initiator in reconciliation, if I can be the initiator in asking forgiveness, how much is that like my Heavenly Father? He forgave first. Scripture says that very plainly I forgive because I'm forgiven. He, that is his role as he is the initiator of forgiveness. And if we're going to follow and be like our Heavenly Father, we will also be the initiators when it comes to reconciliation. Okay? So I hope that there is something there. Like I said, okay, let me back up for just one second. I walk in my men's meeting and the leader says, hey, uh, uh, two things. What's God doing in your life? And secondly, uh, why do you think he brought you here tonight? Okay, and I'm you know, again, I said, I don't know, I just came. Uh, it was time to come. I'd, I'd like to ask you to consider that for a minute. I'm going to ha- ask uh, the team to come on back up. We're going we're gonna to close with, with a song. But as they get ready to play, I'd ask you just to con- consider what, is there something in that today? Maybe there's an area of my life that is, I'm following after the example of my earthly father, Adam. And what I want to be doing is, here, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, when we come to him for forgiveness of sins, we are adopted into his family. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer slaves. We are now called sons. He invites us into sonship, and we say, Abba, Father, Papa. Okay, And because he is now our heavenly father, we can begin to see not just the characteristics of this earthly father come out. And folks, we all have them. We all have some of that passivity, and we all have some of the stupidity sometimes with our sin. But we begin to see as we know him and as we follow him, we begin to see those other characteristics, the initiator of love, the initiator of reconciliation in our lives. So my challenge to you, even as we close in singing, is just say, Lord, what? Why? What do you want me to come for today? What is the message that you have for me on this Father's Day? Would you join us in standing as we sing? Father, thank you. 
Thank you that you are our deliverer. Thank you that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we're forgiven uh, as we trust in you. Thank you that we don't have to live as slaves to our old nature. That uh, and just repeating everything that our father Adam did wrong. <laughs> but Lord, that because you have adopted us, because you've called us our own, because through Jesus we have eternal life in you, and because through Jesus we call you Father, that we can begin now to live with a freedom from that sin. We're no longer slaves to that, Lord. We're your children. Lord, help us to live like that, and I pray especially for dads on this day, as they be able to live like, that, like their heavenly Father, initiating love, initiating forgiveness, being purposeful in the role that you have given them. And uh, we praise you, Father. Thank you that we can gather around this truth, and may it light our way this week, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.